You're the God of this city. You're the King of these people. You're the Lord of this nation. All right, all right. Good morning, good afternoon, everybody. Good to see you. It's been a long time, yeah? Man, it's been three weeks. I miss you guys. You know, like, no matter where I go, California is always the best place to go home to. You know? It's like something about this weather, something about this place. I just love it, you know? Uh, I was blessed. I was able to uh, attend uh, Justin Nash's wedding. Give it up for Justin Nash, our newlyweds. Yeah. Right? I was blessed. Um, the rest of my family ended up in the hospital the whole time. But uh, praise God for that. We are, we are, man, there's so many stories to tell you. I have so many stories about Vietnam to tell you guys. So many things happening. Next week, they're going to start sharing their testimonies about this place, about, about our mission trip. I can't wait for you guys to hear. I hope you guys not, don't miss next If you guys are going to miss any week, don't miss next week. Okay? Next week's going to be great. There's going to be a lot of awesome um, testimonies about our trip. But uh, glad to be back. We are in the series called All In. We're in a series called All In. It's based off a very Christianese word uh, that we use in church all the time. It's called stewardship, right? Uh, a lot of times um, we use these words. People don't like them because they, they, they are very specific to the church. But to define stewardship, just uh, Evan defined it, it's very simple. God owns it, and I manage it. All right. <laughs> I steward it. I manage it. Basically, stewardship is God owns it, I manage it, right? What that means is this. You have been given a resource. You have been given a resource by God, and with this resource, your job then as believers is to grow it, to cultivate it for God's glory. You have been given a certain resource by God to grow it and to cultivate by God for God's glory. Oftentimes, we think of stewardship and we associate it with money. We're talking about like stewardship of finances, stewardship of our bank accounts, but it's so much more than that. And the past few weeks, and I've been listening to Evan's messages, they're fantastic about stewardship in regards to the gospel, stewardship in regards to work, spiritual gifts, right? But why are we going through this series of stewardship? What's the point of it? Because this year, this year is the year our theme is faith in action beyond security. We want you guys to not just to engage your, your faith in just one specific area, right? Stewardship covers a, a gamut of your spiritual experience. Everything actually becomes spiritual, and, and, and stewardship engages all of that aspect. And so we want you guys to look at every one of those areas of your life and recognize that this is a resource from God. My job with this resource is to grow it, to cultivate it, and then to use it for God's glory, And so we want to engage in all of that for you guys. And so um, my prayer, my prayer, uh, I wrote this series. I I wasn't able to speak on most of it. Evan did most of the the preaching for this series. But um, my hope through the series is that when you come out of it, you you start looking and examining and reflecting upon areas of your life, areas of your life, and start asking the question, how am I being a good steward of this area? And we talked about a few areas. Like last time, my first time when I started speaking, we talked about the areas of stewardship over the lives of others. Stewardship over the lives of others. That God has given you the resource of people, whether it's a ministry, whether it's a small group, whether it's one-on-one discipleship in your salt groups, whether it's your family, but you have been given a resource of people. And your job of that resource is to grow them, to cultivate them, for the glory of God. You guys remember that? Right? You, and one of the, the aspects of being a steward, especially in that area, is that when you deal with people, you can't give up on them. You can't give up on them. You know why? Because a steward is both a ruler and a slave. He is a ruler because he has authority to speak, to do, to work, but he is a slave because he is working under the authority of God. And so when it comes to people, and God has given you this resource, oftentimes in the church or in families or in ministry, we get this kind of like um, this idea, I'm just going to give up because I'm tired. I'm going to give up because it's not working. I'm going to walk away because um, so-and-so is not giving me proper respect. I'm going to walk away because I don't feel like I'm, I'm being supported and loved enough. You see, a steward of people cannot give up on people. 
Now, that doesn't mean that you're supposed to let them walk over you, manipulate you, treat you badly. It just means that you got to change the way you love them, show them mercy and kindness. You gotta, if, if this way of loving them didn't work and they end up them using you, then you got to change the way you love them. You don't stop loving them. You just change the way you love them. Does that make sense? If this way of mercy doesn't show them mercy but makes them even more uh, manipulative, then guess what? you got to change the way you show mercy. But you cannot give up on them. Because why? You've been given a resource of people. As a resource of people, is that what you're going to do with your family? When your family kind of screws up or they don't get along and things go badly, you're just going to walk away? Of course not. Hopefully not. Right? You've been given this resource and your job in this resource is to grow, to cultivate it for God's glory. Right? Other things we've been given stewardships over, like uh, Evan talked about, we've been given stewardship over the gospel. That this is a message of God's story given to us that we are supposed to grow in it or uh, cultivate it and actually eventually go out, share it, reorient it, our lives so that we may be able to give it to others. Man, in Vietnam, it was so funny because I was, I was telling uh, our team at the end of the whole trip, I was like, imagine you did this in your life just naturally. Right? Imagine what we did here in the two weeks, that we, uh, one and a half week of actual ministry here. Imagine we did this as a natural process of our lives. Think about how much difference we can make. You know what we did over there uh, in Vietnam? Basically, we, we, we went on campus to meet random strangers, right? and we asked them, would you like to join this English club that we're throwing, this English class that we're putting together? Some of them rejected us. They didn't give us a uh, uh, moment of, of time. Other people sat down very interested gave us their numbers, gave us their Facebook. We contacted them. They came out to the English class. They came out to English class. We threw an English class. I mean, none of us are, you know, professional teachers here. We're not, like, professors. We just, we know English. We just taught the best English we could, and then we made appointments. We made up. We hey, out. Hey, kind of connected with you. You want to hang out for coffee? Everyone made about four, four appointments a day, and for them, for coffee, it's just boba. Everyone got sick of boba because we drank boba from morning to night. Like, literally, like, at the end of the day, like, we're just tired of sugar. And it is, the only place that they go to is constant boba shops, right? So we just drink boba all day, you know? We listen to their story, listen to how their life is going, what's going on, their background. And we just kept doing that for a whole week, and eventually we share the gospel with them. We share the gospel, and there are people who came to Christ through that gospel. There are people in that cafe that we shared. Um, we asked them to accept Christ, and they actually accept Christ. This morning, I got a text message from one of the staff that we work with, and she showed us a picture of one of the kids that accepted Christ going to church with her on that day. It was amazing. It was awesome. Because why? We were stewards of the gospel. Stewards of the gospel means that you grow, you cultivate it, and then you do it for, the, uh, for God's glory. You guys get me? Right? Other stewardship that we have, that we, just a quick review, is... You are stewards over spiritual gifts. If you become a believer, if you trust that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, everyone has a spiritual gift. Everyone is gifted with a spiritual gift. There's no such thing as he missed you or he forgot about you. Everyone has given a spiritual gift. Now, a spiritual gift is not a talent, okay? Like yesterday, I was talking to my wife, and she was just joking. We're eating like a haichu or a Starbucks, and she's like, you remember the day when you used to brag about how you can like put the whole Starbucks in your mouth and uh, unwrap it with your, with, with your tongue? I'm like... It was not a brag. I can still do it, right? You know, that's not a spiritual gift. That's a talent, okay? That's a talent, right? Some people have talents. Some people don't have talents, okay? So if you have a talent, that's different. A spiritual gift is a gift given to you when you meet the Lord. That's why a CEO of a Fortune 500 company or investment banker can come to church and all of a sudden find out that they're amazing at working with children, don't even know how that happened. They have no connection with children at all, and yet somehow they find themselves able to, like, be children whisperers, right? And they're connecting really well with children. Or that's how people who are in, like, the most loner situation ends up having the greatest gift of mercy, that they can sit next to you when you're in trouble, and they can just cry on command with you. Right? Like, I don't know how they do it. They just come by, they see you crying, they sit down, and they start crying with you. And you're like, well, how are, do you even know what's going on? Like, I don't know, but I just want you to know I feel you too, you know? And so I can't do that. I don't have that gift. But some people naturally eventually have that gift. Because why? It's a spiritual gift given to you when you believe in God. Everyone has a gift. And if you guys were in the service, you saw Evan gave that huge list of gifts that, that, was, that was offered here. Right? I didn't know I had the gift of, 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 um, of preaching until... 
I started preaching, right? <laughs> you know, like when I first started uh, doing this whole process, I, I showed you as many times where the first year, I just threw up the whole entire year. Every single Sunday, I would throw up before uh, preaching. And I thought to myself, I can't do this for the rest of my life. I will die, right? There's no way I can do this, you know? Like, Lord, what's going on? And that's why to this day, I don't eat before I preach because I'm pretty sure I'm going to start like, gagging up here or something, you know? So it's, it's, it's one of those things. But how do you discover your spiritual gifts? You got to actually start serving. You, you get me? You, you actually have to put yourself, you can't just sit there like, Lord, reveal to me my spiritual gift. And you're like, yes, your gift is this. You know, it doesn't work that way. You find your spiritual gift when you begin to say, I'm, not, I'm no longer going to be outside of this, but I'm going to be a steward of my gifts. So the only way to find it, I got to put myself into a position of service. You'll find out real fast whether your gift is one thing or another, right? You, you'll find out whether you are very gifted in this or you're not gifted in it at all. You will know, but the only way you will know is that you actually step into service. You can try out any service. We have so many teams, so many things, but you can't know it unless you actually put yourself in the position of service. You guys get me, right? So we are, we are, we are given spiritual gifts, and if you are given a gift, you are expected to use the gift. You can't be given a gift and then just kind of like, oh, that's, that's nice, I have it. I'll just think about it for a while. If you are given the gift, you are expected to use the gift, right? Jump in to something, discover it. If you don't know what it is, jump in somewhere, discover it, know what it is, and deal with it, okay? We are given, so we are given our, we are stewards over the lives of others, the gospel, spiritual gifts, and Evan talked about last week about work. All work is God's work. So you don't, don't, don't come to believe that your work does not matter. Every single type of work that you do is part of uh, bringing flourishing to areas that God cares about. Everything that you do brings glory to areas that God cares about, whether it's uh, agriculture, he cares about the environment, whether it's health, he cares about um, the health of people, government, justice. Every area that God has care for, all work is God's work. Not, ev- not every single work. I'm not talking about like drug dealing or mob hits or anything like that, but I'm talking about like, you know, legitimate work out there, right? All work is God's work. And then if you have a job, then, listen, if you have a job, whether it's a service industry, whether it's restaurants, whether it's like washing toilets, okay, all work is God's work. And what it does is that your job is to take this resource of work, grow it, cultivate it, and use it for God's glory. You guys get me? You guys guys get the whole process when we're going out here? This, This whole stewardship thing is not just limited to money. It's just not limited to your finances. It is it covers a whole range of your life. So then what you should be doing after this whole entire series is start asking the question is what am I doing with my life? What am I doing with the things that God has given to me? What am I doing with the resources that God has given to me? How am I caring for my family? How am I caring for my small group? How am I caring for my ministry? How am I caring for my church? How am I caring for the gospel? What have I done with the gospel? Do I even know the gospel? How am I caring about my spiritual gifts? Do I use my spiritual gifts for the blessings of others? Have I used, have I, have I used my spiritual gifts? Have, do I even know my spiritual gifts then? And my job, my work, is, is my work separated from my life, in my, my church life? How am I using my work to give God glory? We're supposed to be asking those, those questions. You guys get me? Right? Today, though, even though I said it's not always about money, today I'm going to talk about money, Right? Evan did the hard task last time, like a couple uh, last series to talk about money, so I'm up to bat, right? We are stewards of our finances. Now, talking about money is difficult for a lot of people, right? Especially from Asian churches, especially if you came up from an immigrant family, especially if you lived off food stamp like I did growing up, right? Money is a form of survival. Money is a form of comfort. Money is a form of significance. And so to talk about money, especially in the form of giving it away or being generous with it or... Uh, not like me, me telling tell you what to do with your money, it becomes a little bit awkward for you and for me, right? But it is such an important aspect to learn because we've been given this resource of money. And when we're given a resource, we're supposed to do what? We're supposed to grow it, cultivate it, and use it for God's glory, right? It's God's money. My job is to what? Manage it. You guys follow? Okay? But you cannot manage money until you understand the power of money in your life, right? Until you understand three things, until you understand, oh, two things. How does money control you, 
and why does it control you? You cannot be a good resource or a good steward of money. You cannot be a good manager of money until you understand how money has power and control over you and why it has power and control over you. Today's message, honestly, guys, is not specifically telling you how to use your money, but today's message is trying to free you from this. If you understand today's message, if you get it, if it speaks to your heart, if you let God just for a moment soften your heart to hear what he has to say to you, because he's not trying to take your money. It's his money anyways. He's not trying to take it. He's trying to teach you why you have been so controlled by it and how you've been controlled by it so that he can set you free through it. That's all it is. It's to set you free through the power of money. If you understand this, you will never be controlled by money. Your life will change because you will be generous. You, you will live a life that, that is giving. You will live a life that is much more free because of this truth. Okay? So just give me about 25 minutes to 35 minutes. Right? Give me about 25 to 35 minutes. Let me teach this to you. Okay? Give me your attention. It's such an important message. You get this. You get the reason why money has power over you, why it has power over you, you're going to be able to be free from it. All right? Let's uh, open the Bibles. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34. So three things. How does money control and have power over us? Why does it have control and power over us? And ultimately, what to do to be free of it. How does it have power over us? Why does it have power over us? And what to do to be free of it? Matthew 6, verses 19 to 34. All right. Follow along in your Bibles. I think the passage is going to be popped up there somewhere. Let me read this to you guys. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust decay and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasures is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the whole body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, verse 25, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look, look at the birds of the air. Do they not sow or reap or store away in barns? Or yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more, are you not much more important and valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for your word. I ask that today, God, that you would open the eyes and the ears and the heart of my brothers and sisters here in this place. That, God, that you would free us from the control and the power that money has over us. Lord, there are often sometimes that we realize, we don't even realize that they do have control over us. And we kind of play it off as if it does not. But, God, today I pray, open our eyes to see the truth and let the truth set us free. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you would use me to speak your word with conviction and truth and power, with courage. Father God, may it be for your glory and your glory alone. We praise you. We thank you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. How does money exercise power over you? Such an important question because if you can answer this question correctly, if you understand the truth behind this question, then you can become good stewards of the finances that God has given to you. How? Look at verse 22 to 23. It's kind of weird 
if you read this, if you read this whole section we just read right here, verse 22-23, all of a sudden, we've been talking about, like, don't worry about money and stuff about money and treasures and blah, blah, blah. And then verse 22-23, it starts talking about the eye, right, and the soul and the window and darkness and all that stuff. Look at verse 22-23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? All right, so check this out. Verse 19 to verse 21 talks about treasures in heaven. Yes, treasures and money. Verse 24 to verse 34 talks about don't worry about money and the future. And all of a sudden, right in the middle, it talks about eyes and souls and darkness, okay? A lot of people, they take this verse and they start saying stuff like, you know, they use it as like pickup line, like, I see into your soul because I see your eyes, right? Or it's like, I look into this person's eyes, I know what they're thinking because it reveals so much about them. This has nothing to do about, like, the person's characteristic, okay? This is taken way out of context. If verse 19 and verse 21 is about money, verse 24 and verse 34 is about money, guess what verse 22 to verse 23 is about? What? Money. It's about money. So the question is not about, like, eye, eye examination or eye checkup or anything like that. It's talking about money. Now, how is it talking about money? If you were surrounded by light, if you, all the scenery and everything is beautiful, but you cannot see, does it matter? Does it matter if, you are, if you're surrounded by the most beautiful scenery ever or the brightest light ever and you cannot see? What is the point of that? What is the point of enjoying that or even knowing that if you cannot see it? Verse 22 and verse 23 is saying this. How does money have power over you? Money, greed, materialism, all that in that group has this one power. You know what it is? It has the power to blind you. It has the power to not make you see its effect upon you. How does money have power and control over you? It blinds you to the reality of where you are. Out of all the sins that goes on in your life, there are sins that you do that you know for sure I am sinning. Like, if you commit adultery, there's no way you can say, oh, you're not my wife. What happened here, right? You know exactly what you're doing, right? You know it. But if I ask you this, are you greedy? Do you think that you are a greedy person? How would you answer that? You would probably say, not really. Like, I, I know of a greedy person. Like, I, I, know, I know of a few greedy person, but I don't think I am really that greedy. Be careful. Be careful. You know why he's saying that? Because most often it's because you're already blinded by it. Greed, materialism, it has this ability to blind you to what you're, what's going on. See, um, we don't consider the possibility that we are greedy. We say to ourselves, I, I know of people who are much more greedy, who are much more well-off, who are much more extravagant, who are much more um, uh, fruit or cheap about what they have. Therefore, you don't think that you are personally a greedy person, right? When you say something like that, the symptom of this sin, the symptom of a sin of greed, the symptom of a sin of, of materialism, you know what it is? It is the ability to blind you to what's you don't even know that you're greedy. You don't even recognize that you are greedy. Right? And if you're saying that that's not true of me, I'm not a greedy person. Be careful. Because you may already be blinded by it. That's why verse 22, verse 23 talks about the eyes. If your eyes are darkened, you can't see. You can't see the issues of money, right? If, if your eyes are darkened, if you're blinded to it, you can't see what money has, what kind of power money has over you. I'll give you some examples. Sometimes you choose a job. Some of you guys are all looking for jobs or you guys are in a job right now that you do not love or does any good for anybody, right? But you picked it simply because it makes you money, right? You do it because it will get you to a certain status in life. It will get you to enough money or enough retirement so that you can retire. Now, I'm not telling you that getting a job is bad. Getting a job is a good thing, right? Having a job is a great thing. But oftentimes you pick the job Right? And then after a few years, you enjoyed it. You had a great job. You enjoyed it for the first few years because you're able to buy that car. You're able to buy the clothes. You're able to get the house. You pay off all your, your, your debts and stuff like that. You're like, yeah, you're great. But then what happens? You begin to burn out. You begin to burn out on the job because why? 
You chose the job not because of any value in the job, of any goodness in the job. You chose the job simply because of the money. And you were blinded by anything else around you. You didn't ask any questions about it. You didn't ask any question whether this job is actually good for me, whether this job is actually beneficial for the people around me, whether this job is actually beneficial for my family. You didn't ask any of those questions. All you worried about was, will this job pay? Or some of you guys, in the conduct of your job, many companies are making money, right? But they are hurting towns, they're hurting people, they're hurting neighborhoods in the process of making money. And all the people who work at this company, are they sitting around saying like, yes, you know, I'm so happy we're destroying people, the people's lives because of this. No, you're not, you, you turn a blind eye to your company's shady uh, uh, ventures. You turn a blind eye to their actions. You turn a blind eye to a lot of those things because why? You're blinded because what's more important is the money. Money has a way of blinding you. You're not asking the hard questions. You're not asking whether the deal that your company just made was a good deal. You're not asking if they're actually being moral in their dealings. You're not asking whether the situation that they're going through is even legal. It's as long as I get paid, I'm okay. And so you turn a blind eye. You guys get me? The symptom of greed, of materialism, and why it has so much power over you is because it blinds you. It, it willingly, powerfully blinds you to the reality. You rub shoulders with people a few pay grades above you, right? Higher than you. And you don't, even, you don't ever ask if they, uh, you don't ever ask them, hey, do you guys feel rich? You don't ask them that. You just look at them and you're thinking, I need to get to that status. So you buy the Supreme shirts or you buy whatever it is that you got to buy to get there, you know. And so you try to like, as long as, I, and, but you never ask, are, do you feel like you've made it? Because if you know the moment you ask them, they're doing what? They're rubbing shoulders with people who are three pay grades above them, who are dressed up in better clothing and, and more, I don't know any heavier brands, okay. That's, 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 that's the one that just came to my mind, okay. And so like, that's, that's. You ask, they're asking those questions, and they're, they're just blind to the situation as well. They're just seeking and fighting and, 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 and driving towards that, right? And so because you don't ask those questions, you start buying ridiculous stuff. You, don't, you ask, like, do I even need to buy this? Is this even important in my life? Does this $300 sweater with that, that's just gray and the red tag, is it even worth it? I guess it is, right? Because if I'm rubbing shoulders with them, it is. You know when I was in high school? You know what was the one car that every single Asian person wanted? A Honda Civic. Man, Subaru is like, pfft, that's way before me, right? Honda Civic with the spoiler and the rims, right? right? And, and you got to have the whole, like, uh, sound system in the front and the bass in the back, right? That was the Asian car. We, they, the way they, they worked back then was they didn't even want the whole car souped up. Just get me an, an old Honda Civic, and the, 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 the dream was we'll soup it up ourselves with the nice little spoiler on, we'll do a nice little paint, get the, get the 20 rims, right? There's a dub there, the dub's on it, right? And then um, get the, the radio, and then that's it. You've made it, right? Not to ask the question, how did you even afford it, but you made it, yeah? You made it. But you don't ask questions, is this even important in my life, right? Like, 20, like now, like, what, 18 years later, like, why would I even drive this? Right, is this even important in my life? Is this even, like, worth it? But you didn't ask those questions. You know why you didn't ask those questions? Because at that moment, you were blinded. That's what it does. That's what greed, that's what materialism, that's what money, that's how it has power over you. It blinds you to the questions you should be asking. Is this an important purchase? Is this a worthy purchase? Is this right for us? Is this job good is this job moral? Is the dealings of this job making, is it even like legal? You're not asking those questions because the money is so good, and so you begin to be blinded to it. You don't ask questions about which, is there ways in which I can give more money to the poor, to the church, to my friends, to my neighbors? Isn't there ways I can be much more generous? We don't ask, we don't think, because money has the power to blind. So here's the question. How does money exert power and control of you? Please understand this, okay? Because I'm pretty sure, like myself, you guys are in the same rut. We're constantly being blinded by money. 
constantly being blinded by it. We look to people who are a couple of pay grades up before us or living the life. We think, I just need to get there. I need to get there. When we get there, we realize I just need to get some more there, right? We start picking jobs that have no value, no truth, no nothing. just because it pays the bills. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with paying the bill. Being, paying the bill is a noble thing, right? But ruining your family in the middle of it, not being able to see your wife or your husband's demise or destruction, your kids growing up not knowing who you are kind of issue, that's a problem. And some of you guys grew up with parents like that. Because money has the power to blind. And so a lot of us, we, we, we pick up our parents' traits of, I got to have financial freedom. If they work this hard and they only got this far and we're not happy, that means I have to work 10 times as hard because this is probably where happiness is at. But the truth here is this, what? It doesn't matter where you're at. It still blinds you. You guys get me? Right? It doesn't matter how, it doesn't matter where, you are still blinded by it. Okay? So then the sec- second question, why does money have this power over me? Why does it have this power over me? How the it blinds me, but, but why does it have that power to be able to blind me? Like, what's so special about greed and materialism and money that it, it has this, this control to blind me to the reality of the life around me, to blind me to the circumstances of my family, to, see, to not see them hurting or in pain, to blind me to see me, like, you know, ruining my neighborhood and my town and people around me simply because of a paycheck? Why? Okay. Look at verse 21. That's what he says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What it's saying is money has its power two ways. Money has its power of getting in the way because money gives us a sense of significance, power. Gives us a sense of significance, power, and freedom. One of the reasons why we spend so much and not give it away like we should is because money gives us significance. It makes us feel like we're somebody. To be able to come into a place and be able to drop some money and buy whatever we need to buy, it gives us a sense of, I, I, I made it. I got there. Don't worry about it. I'll pick up a tab. You make you feel like you're somebody. It makes you feel like you have some sort of strength and authority and power behind it, right? And the higher we get up into our economic scale, we don't just look at people below us and think that, you know, you're below me economically. We, we look at people and we actually think of them as actually being below us. We actually feel like we are superior to them, okay? This is a true human condition. And you don't have to be well off. A middle class person can look at a person who is poor and feel superior to the poor person. You can buy that poor person food. You can, be, you can feel bad for the poor person. You can pity the poor person. You can give the person money. But somewhere in your heart, you are actually thinking you are better than this poor person. And you know how I know? Oftentimes when we go to missions and I see people who engage with you know, poor families, they're thinking, oh, man, if only they had this, their lives would be so much better. If only they had that, their things would be so great. If only this, and, and, I ask, and I always think to myself, you have all of that. Are you happy? You have the computer. You have the iPad. You have the car. You have the house. Are you happy? Do you find yourself alive and well. And so all of a sudden you come over to these poor, poor families, instead of learning from their situation, you come and you think that you're better because you have a house, a car, and if you would give that to them, they're better, lives will be better. It doesn't work that way. And the reason why you think that way is because you feel deep down superior to them. Money has a way of making you feel superior gives you a significance, gives you a sense of belonging, gives you a sense of authority and power. And so money, has, because, because we, we yearn for that, because we want that, because we desire that, we become blinded to everything else around us. It's so automatic, okay? It's so, we, we don't even have to think, it becomes such an automatic action, okay? So why does money have that power of us? It gives us significance. And secondly, why does money have that power of us? Because it gives us safety. A false sense of safety and a false sense of significance. Safety. If I can just store up enough money in my saving account, everything will be okay. I don't have to worry about anything. I don't have to, 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 
to um, worry about any like you know emergency situation. That's actually wise to save. I'm not telling you not to save. It's very wise to save. It's very smart to save. But when money in your saving account becomes, it becomes the very reason, or the, becomes your safety net, becomes the, becomes your sole sense of, uh, of of feeling for safety. That's when it becomes a problem, right? If I have money, I have control. And if I have control, that's good because this world is so uncontrollable. You live in this constant state of anxiousness and fear. You live in the state, you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a personal story. My, uh, when I was in Vietnam, I, I had a chance to visit uh, an old friend of my mom's, right? And, you know, we, we, we were joking about how my mom works seven days a week. She doesn't stop, right? And I was like, man, you got to tell her to do this. And, and, he, and he's telling me, yeah, you got to tell her to do this too. Take a day off. I'm like, dude, preaching to the choir, man. And I was like, do you even know why she does this? And I, my, my answer was, like, she just likes to work. She doesn't, like, I don't think she wants to be home with my grandma. She's crazy, so that's probably why she goes, right? My uncle's like, no, 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 that's not why. I was like, what do you mean? That's not why your mom works seven days a week. You know why she works seven days a week? Because she's afraid to be poor. I was like, what do you mean? She's we, we were poor. I said, exactly, okay? She's afraid to be in that situation again. And so because her mind is so wired like that, she cannot get out of it. But we're, we're, we're fine now. It doesn't matter if you're fine now. She's already wired like that. Money in her savings gives her a sense of safety. Even though if she stops working, I'm very sure you and your wife can take care of her. It's like, yeah, we can. Exactly. But money gives you safety, and because it gives you safety, right, it has power over you. It gives you a false sense of safety. It gives you power over you. You believe that your saving account will save you. But can I tell you something? The reality is money can't stop death. No matter how much you have, you can't stop death. Money can't stop tragedy from happening. Money can't stop broken relationships. Doesn't matter how much you want to put down for that, you can't stop those things. Doesn't matter how much money you have in your bank account, it cannot stop death, tragedy, or any type of broken relationship. No matter how much money you have, you cannot fix your relationship with your children once you've broken it. No matter how much money you have, you cannot pay off your wife to make her happier because you're not around all the time. No matter how much money you have, you cannot bring a dead person back to life and regret not being with them your whole life because you spent so much time working. Right? This is what Jesus says in verse 27. He says this. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Why does money have power over you? Because it gives you a false sense of significance, and it gives you a false sense of safety. And those two things blinds you to anything else around you. It blinds you to the idea that you're greedy. It blinds you to the idea that you are spending way more than you should or spending on things that you shouldn't be spending on. It blinds you to the people that are hurting around you. It blinds you. That's the, that's the deep-rooted power of money. And do you recognize that in your life? If you don't recognize it in your life, look at your parents. And you know the things that you hate about your parents or you're angry about your parents with? It's probably to deal with money somewhere in there. And what are you doing? You're just basically perpetuating that same cycle, but you're doing it in your own way. And you're justifying and saying, I'm not really greedy. I'm just doing it better. But money has that power. And I need you guys to understand this, okay? Because if you understand this, then you're going to need the next part. The next part is going to free you. All right? How do we break the power of money in our lives? Look at verse 19 to 20, right? How do we get to a place where we are radically generous? How do we get to a place where we are not worrying about money? Verse 19 and 20 says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and rust do not, uh, yeah, do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. How? Don't treasure earthly treasure, but treasure heavenly treasure. I know that sounds like a very, very, very churchy thing to say. Just give me a second. Let me, let me break it down for you, right? Don't treasure earthly treasure, but treasure heavenly treasure. Let me give you guys an idea. When you treasure something, 
right? When you treasure something, whether it's a relationship, whether it's your work, whether it's money, whether it's your vanity, how you look like, right? When you treasure something, what would you do? You will pay whatever price you have to pay to appease it, right? If you really treasure the way you look, right, your chisel form or your, 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 your skin or whatever it is that you do, right, you're going you're gonna to buy the products, right? You're going you're gonna to get the pass. You're going to, you know, get the clothing to match, you know, whatever it is that you're making with your body, right? You're going you're gonna to pay the price to make it happen, right? Sometimes in a negative way. Sometimes in a healthy way, that's great, but sometimes you do it in a negative way. You stop eating, you stop, but you will pay whatever price you need to pay because you treasure that. If you treasure your work, if you treasure the work that you have because it's so important to you because of the whatever it is, your status or your significance because of your work, then you're going to do whatever. You're going to pay the price. You will pay the price of your family. You will pay whatever price comes up so that you can keep your work. Right? Whatever it is that you treasure is going to force you to pay a price to keep it. Right? Same thing. Whatever it is that you idolize, it will force you to die to keep it. When you begin to idolize money, when you live for money, it will force you to die in order to keep it. Because you're going to constantly, constantly fight for it. You're going you're to bend over backwards for it. And if you don't have enough of it, you're going to lose who you are and you're going you're gonna to be depressed and lost or whatever. Right? So you're going to find ways to get more and more of it. Whatever it is that you treasure, whatever it is that you idolize, you will pay a price to keep it. But here's the treasure in heaven. Only Jesus, only Jesus pay the price to keep you. Everything else forces you to pay the price to keep it. But the only person I know, this is, the, this is, this is my one statement I was even in, in, um, in, uh, when I was uh, evangelizing. I was like, everything else makes you do, do work for it, right? Like the only thing that I see in Christianity that's so much different is that Jesus is the only one that paid the price to keep me. He is the only one that paid that price to keep me. The Bible says any treasure insists that you die to purchase it, but Jesus is the only one that uh, treasure that died to purchase you. Anything you make your supreme value will say die for me. If you value a person, a relationship, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, your husband, your wife, your children, if you make them your supreme, they will say die for me. Do everything for me. When they leave you, your children leave you, they're going to feel broken. You're like, oh, my gosh, like I did everything for them. How can they just walk away, right? Because you gave them your whole life. Only Jesus said, I died for you. Only if you begin to treasure Jesus can you really begin to be free from money. Okay? And that's a very blanket statement. Only when you begin to treasure Jesus can you be free from the power of that money has over you. Now, how, the question is, how do I treasure Jesus, right? That's a very important question. How do I treasure Jesus? Let me give you this breakdown. Jesus had every comfort. If he is who he says he is, okay? Check this out. If Jesus who is who he says he is, if he is the one who died and came back from dead, if he is who he says he is, he had every comfort in the world. He had every authority. He had the ultimate treasure. And he had the ultimate status. And when he came to earth, he was stripped of it. He lost everything, and he died. He lost all of his treasure, and you only die for something that is your precious. Right? You only pay a price for something that you find precious, don't you? Right? I'm not going to give my money for something that I don't find precious or worthy or valuable. Does that make sense? Right? I'm not going to, especially give my life. I'm never going to give my life for something I don't think is worthy, precious, or valuable. So Jesus came. He gave up everything that he had, including his life. He died for something. Why? Why? He died for you. Why? It must mean that you are what? You are precious. That you are worth it. You don't give your life for something that's not worth it. You don't offer yourself to something that has no value. He looks at you and he says, if I can have them, it will be worth it. If I can have them, it will be worth it. He gave his life because he saw you and he says you are precious. Can I tell you something? I read this quote and I loved it. Um, 
If you were to tell your loved ones everything about you, I'm talking about everything, what you think in secret, what you fantasize about, what you do in secret, everything about you, there's a good, good chance that they will probably shun you, grossed out by you, and be like, what in the world are you, right? If they knew everything about you, they would not even get close to you, honestly. And yet, Jesus Christ knows everything about you, everything. Every detail that you cover up, you hide, every thought, every stray fantasy, every, everything in your mind, he knows. And instead of shunning you, he says, I will die for you. Because in you is something that he finds precious and worth it. And if you understand that truth, it has the power to free you. It has the power to free you from, not just from money, but from everything. Because now you know that you're worth it. Now you know that your significance and your safety is not found in money, but it's found in someone who actually sees you to have worth and value. You don't find significance now because you know you are significant. You don't need to have safety because the one who made the whole world is on your side. If you understand that truth, it has power to free you from money. And this is, let me tell you this. Can I tell you some of the signs that you're free? Some of the signs, some of the kind of just to know that you're getting this truth more and more in your life, that you're understanding this gospel more and more in your life. Some of the signs that shows it that you're free from money. One, you don't feel inferior or envious over someone who is richer than you. When your best friend gets the job that you did not get, and your buddy is living in that house that you wish you could have bought, or driving that car that you could never wish to afford, you don't feel envious nor inferior to them. Because in your heart, you know exactly one thing. There is a God who saw you and said that you were precious and worth saving. You don't feel inferior, and the thing is, you don't feel superior either. Right? You begin to respect poor people. You look at them, and you're able to learn from them. You look at a person on the street, and you're, just not, you're not just feeling bad. You're not just having pity. You're not just trying to throw them money. Right? You're not just trying to give them your life that you don't even like in the first place. You actually are learning from them. What got them there? What happened? Their story. This is the sign that you're getting free, guys. Right? Also, you add towards people change. And here's the third one. You actually begin to get closer into a community. That sounds kind of weird, right? But you actually begin to become closer within the community. To know that you are free brings you closer into relationship with people because the more free you are, the more you begin to realize you need accountability, right? The more you realize you need someone to see what you cannot see. I'm not telling you to, like, you know, bust out your, 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 your account and, like, you know, give it to everyone to see, like, keep me accountable. But to have someone in your life to say, hey, what are you doing with your money, right? Why did you just waste it on that? Like, what benefit does that bring to anybody? To have someone in your life to say, are you even giving, a, are, you, are you even tithing? Are you, are you, are you even, like, like, giving it to anything? What are you doing with what God has given to you to steward over. You get closer to community. And if the whole community is living under this truth of the gospel that they are worth it and precious and they begin to be free from money and there's generosity being poured out, you're not afraid to be generous anymore. Do you realize that? Because you know that if there's any situation that you find yourself in trouble, the community comes alongside you and help you. The only time when that never happens is because you develop this mindset that I'm a lone wolf. I don't need community. I'll be with community, but in the end of it all, I can only depend upon myself. I can only make it on my own. No one will come to my aid. If you think that, it's because you've never, one, asked for help. 
because you think that all the time. You're so prideful about yourself, right? You feel superior to other people. And two, you don't understand the heart of the community, and you're not free because you're still trying to think about your personal survival. See, a community comes alongside you no matter. Look, here at TLC, there's one thing I can guarantee you. There should never be anyone in this church that is hungry during the week, right? If you time it correctly, there's always something happening, and there's always food somewhere within the week. And if you time it even better, you can have food for the whole week, right? When there's left, I'm telling you, there's no one that should be hungry here at TLC. And if you are hungry, it's because, one, you're sitting there thinking, no one cares for me, no one loves me, because you didn't ask. Right? You didn't ask because you're still so stuck in your mindset, I'm on my own. No one's here to help me. God, gen- whatever, he's not working through anyone else. He's only working through me. I'm the only generous person here. That's your mindset. You find yourself closer to community. Not just coming to church on Sunday, but being part of a salt, getting accountability from somebody, being part of a small group, being part of a ministry being part of teams, right? If you would come and you would voice your concern, there's not a single leader here at TLC that would be like, good luck, yo, right? I'm wishing you the best, survive, you know? No, okay? Worst comes to worst. There, there are times where we, I think we, it was like a brother who didn't have a house for two months, and he just jumped from, from like all of our couches for like two months, you know? Not just couch, I think they were beds too, but like they, they were just jumping all over the place, right? There were times when that happened. Do you really believe that we're going to just let you stay in the street? Like, yeah, good luck, man. Praying for you. Love you. And you see, when you have that, you don't have the mentality that you're free. You don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ working not only in you, okay, but working in your community, Okay? Now, I'm not going to lie, there's some bad communities. I'm not going to say this. Not every community is perfect, right? Especially ours, we're definitely not perfect, right? There's work to be done. But this one thing I know, right? We're always growing. We're always changing. We're always repenting. You should not suffer in this community, right? What are the signs that you're free from money? You don't feel superior or you don't feel inferior to those who are around you are better off than you. You don't feel superior to those who are poor. You're actually in the community. You're actually part of community. You're investing your lives in community. And you get really generous because your treasure is Jesus. Your eyes are open. You're constantly looking at how you can give, how to help, not grudgingly, but joyfully. You're constantly asking, how can I help? What can I do? What's the project that needs funded? What's, what, what, what can I, how can I be a part of helping this next thing that we're doing? Right? How, how, can I, how can I be a part of, 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 of giving to this next group? What, what can I do? Right? And I know the question you always ask is this. Right? It's, just, it's a very detailed group. How much? You see? Like, how much is generous? Like, generous is such a broad statement. How much? Be specific and generous. Let me, all right, you want to be specific? I'll be specific. Okay? How much is generous? Right? Just look at Jesus. Okay? Look at Jesus. When Jesus treasured you, you were his treasure, what did he pay for it? He paid his life. Yeah, he paid his, he paid sacrificially for it. It cost him something, yes? It actually cost him something. I know that in church, oftentimes to make things kind of go smoothly, we give you guys kind of simple numbers. You know, people give the, the standard 10%, okay? 10%, we don't even know if it's gross or net, but it's like 10%, right? You throw that out there, and, and honestly, 10% is like, it's a thumbnail. It's, it's just like an a, a arbitrary number that was thrown out there. Jesus got mad at the, old, at the Pharisees sometimes, because they were like, that's it? You, you're so focused, you, you think just because you're doing 10%, look at all these people that are suffering around you, but you, you're all happy because you did your 10%, right? How much do you give? You look at the cross. If Jesus treasured you, and you were precious to him. His act to you was everything he had, sacrificial. And if Jesus Christ is truly your treasure, your act to him is the same way. It's sacrificial. It means you give in a way where it sacrifices your lifestyle. You may not have a three-week vacation. You might have to cut it down to 
right? You may not buy a 2020 Audi. You might have to buy a 2015, right, Audi, right? But it sacrifices your lifestyle. If there is no cross, if, if there is no cross in your economic lifestyle, then you're really not understanding how you're responding to Christ. If Jesus Christ only gave 10% of his blood, we're still screwed, okay? For sure, right? We will still be condemned. The real goal of how much to give is the cross. That is the goal. Until you can give your life, you've not given enough, okay? Let me tell you this. For some of us, 10% is like death. I'm not going to lie. For you, 10% is like, if I give 10%, I'm not eating PT. If I give 10%, I'm not paying for rent. I can't pay for rent. You're right. 10% for some of you guys is way too much. It is. It's way too much. So to, to be sacrificial, it means 3%. If 3% is sacrificial, then 3% is what you give. But some of you guys, 10% doesn't even make a dent. You can walk, you, you will live fine with 10%. I, I was telling the youth this. I was like, you know, let's say you give an allowance 15 bucks a week, right? 10%, is $1.50, okay? Right? right? 10%, dollar $1.50, $1.50, right? Let's say $1.50 is just, I can't, PT, if I give $1.50, I'm dead, right? I, I need $1.50 to survive as a, as a young youth group student. Like, all right, if that kills into your life, that you cannot live without that $1.50, then pay $0.75. Make it a sacrifice. Oh, $0.75 cents is too hard. Then get 50 right? Because you know why? Jesus Christ honored a woman who gave two pennies. He gave a woman who walked into the temple threw two pennies in, was honored by Jesus Christ versus a whole crowd of people who came in and threw hundreds because she gave sacrificially. She understood. Right? It's not about the amount. It's about the heart. Do you see Jesus Christ in your life? That's it. Is Jesus Christ really in your Is he really who he says he is? And if he is, and the question you have to ask is, what am I doing with my finances? How am I giving? How am I being a good steward of it? Before I, before I start comparing myself to every single one of my coworkers who own a Tesla, which means I have to own a Tesla, right? Maybe the question I should ask is, is it even important for me to buy one? Is it, is it, is it worth a value for me to buy one? Or is it that God's wanting me to use this resource to grow it, to cultivate it for his glory. How much do you give? How much do you, how do you, and listen, okay, oh yeah, I got another one, I forgot, right? If by any reason you think that today is me like give to this church, okay? Look, my heart is this. As your pastor, I, I promise you this is my full 100% heart, okay? My promises are good. My goal in my life as your pastor, I've been in a poor church, and I've been in a pretty, pretty good church, okay? My goal in my life as your pastor is that if you would walk out of these halls, and if your heart and your lifestyle is you're giving generously, deliberately, sacrificially, and joyfully, I don't mind where you give it to. If you're telling me, PT, I'm supporting a missionary family every month, and that cuts into my, I can't tithe, that's fine. Praise the Lord, continue to do that. If you're telling me, PT, I am I'm supporting 50 Compassion International students, kids overseas in Kenya, Nigeria, whatever, that's, praise the Lord, continue to do that. You don't have to give, right? But that your life style, your life is generous, deliberate, sacrificial, and joyful in the way you give. Because if that's the case, if Jesus is your treasure, I have, I, I'll have no worry whether this church will survive. You know why? Because once you have seen the lights turn off, I'm pretty sure God will speak to one of you guys and say, we need to turn the lights back on, okay? I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. I have no worries about that. But what I do worry about is whether your heart understands this truth. It's not about how much you give, but whether you are generous, sacrificial, deliberate, and joyful in your giving. And the only way you can have that is that Jesus Christ is your treasure. And the only way he is your treasure is that you understand that you are his treasure. If he 
he would not have given his life for anything else that's not of worth. And you were of worth. So are you giving? Are you being good stewards of your finances? Are you taking the resource that he has given to you and are you growing it? Are you cultivating it? Are you managing it? And are you using it for God's glory? Amen? Be generous, church. That's all I ask. Right? And if we suffer, we suffer together. Right? Ride and die. And if we rejoice, we rejoice together. That's our theme. Okay? I can eat less. Right? I can preach from a smaller room. We don't need all these sound systems. It's just nice to have. Right? It's okay. Let's pray.